Wow, wasn't that a cool video? Hey, I don't know if you guys know this, but that, that was in-house. Everything you just watched was the product of Decided Church. So thanks for everybody who was involved in that. It's been a long time since I've just sat down and watched it. It was awesome. Uh, just to uh, give you a little bit of background information, that thought there, Multiply, is actually the theme for our church in 2019. And so going into the final month of the year, we figured we'd go back and we'd refresh and kind of recap so that we can, as a church, finish well on what it looks like to multiply as a church. Uh, it was supposed to be Jim preaching today, but unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, very fortunately, very healthy and happy baby Finley. So I have the opportunity and opportunity and privilege to do so today. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be uh, in Acts chapter 4, but we'll get there in a minute, just to kind of introduce uh, and understand what multiply means, because I know we've actually gained a lot of people, and there are a lot of first-timers here uh, who don't exactly know where this thought of multiply birthed out of. And so for us to understand that, we really have to go away all the way back to 2018. 2018, our theme verse, or our theme phrase was does anybody know it? Gather together. That's right. See, in, in, in 2018, our focus as a church was to develop a family atmosphere that we hope that you feel here today. It's something that our church has always been known for, but in the year 2017, we really felt that it was waning, which is very natural when it comes to people who have very busy schedules. And as a church grows and as families grow, that's exactly what was happening. And so we knew in 2018 this would be important, it would be essential for us to instill this into our church's DNA, that no matter how big we grow, no matter how far God takes us, it will always be a part of who we are. And so we looked no further than the book of Acts. Sometimes when you look, does anybody ever like read the book of Acts, and you see how the early church was, and you see the church today in America, and you think to yourself, what happened? Why is it such a stark contrast between the two? Where did, we, where did we miss the mark? And so really, going back to 2018 into 2019, the church really, at Decided Church as a whole, was really just trying to get back to the basics. We want Decided Church to look as much as, like, as we can as the early church here in 2019. And so uh, to throw up the theme verse for 2018, Gathers Together, it was Acts 4.31, which read this. And when they had prayed together, the place in which they were gathered together, there's that phrase there, was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And so that year, that was our theme that we rally around. And, and what's so cool is what we, what we were doing there in 2018, going into 2019, really searching for what God had for us in the coming year we notice a certain trend that flowed from our intentionality of gathering together. The more we understood, the more we implemented the 2018 year theme, the more we began to grow. And as we read the book of Acts on from chapter 4 onward, we noticed it was the same case for the early church. And so as a natural outflow from gathering together, it only makes sense that the church would multiply. And so 2019's theme verse is Acts chapter 9, same exact verse number. So it goes from Acts 4.31 to Acts 9.31, and it'll be up on your screen as well, as well. And it says this, And so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up 
and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it what? Multiplied. We thought to ourselves, if we're going to be a church that multiplies, this is the formula, if you will, of what it looks like. And so between the, the chapters of Acts chapter 6 all the way to chapter 11, really all the way through the whole rest of Acts, we really see these four characteristics, if you want to put that back up on the screen, these four characteristics in that Acts chapter 9, verse 31, right? We see that the church was, had peace. We saw that in the story of Stephen, the first martyr of the church. We saw walking in the fear of the Lord as we saw Saul be converted into Paul. And then we also had the comfort of the Holy Spirit, which we looked at the church of Antioch where we really get our, our, the very first time believers are called Christians. And then, of course, being built up, which is the person we will be talking about today. And what I find so funny about this person we'll be talking about is he's a, he's a certain man that shows up in the middle. What I mean by that is, is right after Acts chapter 431, there's a specific story that happens, and this man happens to show up on the scene. And then, on Acts chapter 9, verse 31, the story that precedes it is the same story, of the, as another story of the same guy. And so, my thought process when seeing this is, if we're going to be a church that goes from gather to multiply, this is the type of person we're going to need. There's a certain man that shows up the middle. The necessity of the type of man and woman is necessary for us to go from gather to multiply. And that man that we're going to be talking about today is a man named Joseph, or better known as Barnabas. So if you guys want to stand with me, we'll read the word, word of God together in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. This is right after the theme verse of 2018, do not forget. Acts chapter 4, 32, right after they had been filled with the Holy Spirit, the place of which, which they were shaken, this happened. This is what the Word of God says in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. And all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them for them. For from the time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, bought, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought, it, brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word and how it's living and active and how even though this is a story that happened thousands of years ago, in real time, it matters to us. It has meaning for us here today in 2019. So God, I just pray that you help us all as a church, as a people, get back to the basics. We realize how necessary it is for us to act like this man. And so God, I pray that through this sermon, you can reveal to us the ways that we can implement these truths into our life. We give you thanks and for all that you are, we ask that you would get all the glory and all the fame, that we'd exalt your son Jesus as head of this church, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So I just want to do a little bit of a, a case study, if you will. I want to talk about Barnabas. Um, I, want to, I want to show a few things that, about him that I think are quite revealing, uh, things that maybe you've never noticed before. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is his name. 
his name obviously being Barnabas. If you break that up into two words, it's Barnabas. Uh, Bar is a transliteration, literally that means son of, right? We, we see it also in scriptures when Jesus speaks to Simon. He says, you are Simon Bar-Jonah, which means you are Simon, son of Jonah. In this case, he's, uh, the, his name is Bar because it means son of. But what's really cool is the Nabas part. Now, of course, in the Greek itself, it does mean encouragement. It does mean other things like rest. It has more meaning there. But if you look at it within the Hebrew, because bar obviously is a Hebrew word, and so the word nabas is a transliteration of the Hebrew word nibi, N-I-B-I, which means prophet. So really, if you transliterate it, it means son of prophecy. And so today we're going to talk about a little bit of a weird conversation, a little bit of a weird talk, because when we think prophecy, you know, we kind of like shun a little bit. We're like, whoa, like this is going to get weird. He's going to tap into the prophetic gift. He's, you know, we, we, I mean, let's all be honest. Don't we all like a little like uh, when we, we talk to somebody and they say something about the prophetic or we say something about some the, 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 the gifts of the spirit that we're kind of just like uncomfortable with. Don't we all just kind of clinch a little bit? I think prophecy is one of those words, is one of those gifts, right? And, and, and don't get me wrong, prophecy, we, we think of them as the people who, who are like, all right, let me, let me uh, pray to God and I'll receive a word about your future, all right? You're going to have two, three, maybe, you know, four kids, you're going to have four kids. There's going to be two daughters, two sons, you're going to have them at this time. And, it, and it's, it's a, listen, that is a part of prophecy. And don't get me wrong, there are people who can speak into your life like that, but that's only a spoke in the tire. Prophecy is way bigger than that. And if we're going to be a church that goes from gather together to multiply, we're going to have to have a little more prophecy here in this church. See, prophecy isn't someone just foretelling the future, but it's also foretelling what is on God's heart. I don't know if you guys know this, but the Holy Spirit who God has given us to be saved is not weird. Therefore, the gifts that the Spirit gives us are not weird. Sometimes I think it is abused or misused in the church. They, instead of being prophetic, they get a little pathetic, if you will. I do believe that. But just because a group of people abuse it, does not, it should not hinder us from finding its true meaning within the church. Uh, if you want to go, I, I, I wanted to show you guys something in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 26 through 31. And I wanted to, to pull an application out here for those who are kind of leery about prophecy. Now, I figured while I talk about prophecy because it's such a taboo thing, I might as well talk about speaking in tongues a little bit while we're here. So I, I hope you guys are okay with that. But this is what the Word of God says uh, in Acts, excuse me, in, Acts, in 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 26. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, and he's talking about order of worship. What does it look like for the church to have orderly worship? That's the question the Corinthians are asking, and, that's, and this is the answer that Paul gives. He says this, What then, brothers, when you come to gather together as a, as a group, each one of you has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, uh-oh, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Bingo, there's our word, right? Barnabas, son of encouragement. The church multiplied by being built up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. 
But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Now, before we go on, I just want to make a specific point. I do think there are a lot of churches that misuse the gift of tongues. You know, when they all get together and they're all in the front and they're speaking their they're, they're, they're speaking in tongues in front of everyone else. I do believe that is not beneficial. And this is why. I go into a church. I see that happen. I'm not built up by it. I'm freaked out by it. You know what I'm saying? And therefore, it's being used and abused in the wrong way. It literally says in this passage, if you have the gift of tongues, by the way, there are people here in this room that have that gift. If you have the gift of tongues, it's a personal it's a personal one. It's one that's to be used in private, literally. So all gifts given by the Spirit are for the building up of the church. Amen? Well, this gift, the gift of tongues, you go into private, you pray, and it builds you up that you might pour into others. That's the way that the gift of the tongues works here. And it says, so if anybody in this church would ever stand up and speak in tongues, which I'd be cool with, I'd say, hey, does anybody understand what this person is saying? And if there's no interpreter in the room, I would tell that person to sit down, you're out of line. That's how it works. If you ever wanted to know how we would deal with it here in this church, that's, that's how it works. It literally says, if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So I do know that the tongues are abused, but they are that shouldn't make us like shun them and say that they don't exist. They do. They're just not in their proper place in the kingdom of God. And if they were, I believe the kingdom of God would be much further in the process of bringing God's rule and reign here on earth. But that's for another sermon. Let's continue on to verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak. Uh-oh, there we go. And let the others weigh what is said. Hey, I like that statement. It says, listen, if you hear a prophetic word, by the way, if it's not weighed with the word of God, if it's not in line with what the word of God says, therefore you should probably reject it. So there are some prophetic words that are meant to be rejected. It says that here. You have to have a spirit of discernment. And then it says, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent for for you all can prophesy one by one. Did you know when you receive the Holy Spirit, God gives you what I call a gift mix. You have several gifts that God gives you and you can do certain things better than other people within the church. And if, if the church, if, if decided church is going to live out its calling that God has for us, the only way that's going to happen is if we put you in the place where you're gifted, the sweet, what we call your sweet spot in ministry. But did you know that there's a universal gift that we all have? It's not speaking in tongues, by the way. A lot of people will say that. You're not saved. You haven't been baptized with fire if you don't have the, the gift of tongues. No, no, no. It says in verse 31, for you all can, what? What's that word? Prophesy. So you might be weirded out by it, but did you know you have the gift of prophecy? We all do. It's the universal gift. The universal gift of prophecy. And so I don't want you guys to be intimidated by that. What I want you to do is to ask God to show you what it looks like practically. It doesn't have to be a show. It's as easy as giving a compliment. It's, it's the way that I put it. Is it's, seeing in, it's seeing people the way God sees them. It's, it's seeing something in someone that they don't see themselves. You know what I'm saying? Does anybody want, a, anybody want an example? All right, perfect. I'm going to choose Amanda Evans. Amanda Evans. When I think of you and I pray for you, I think of, I think of like a, a sword. It's a bit jagged. The edge is a bit jagged. Don't get me wrong. But what I see is I see the Lord just sharpening you. And slowly but surely, you're going to become an asset, an instrument in the kingdom of God that is going to literally slay Satan and his minions. I see that in you. 
See, that's, that's just a specific type of way that we can speak into life. When, when, you, when you think of someone and, and you, you just, you just like, man, there's something special about them. You, you need to speak that. It's, it's seeing the gold in somebody and then bringing it out, okay? I think sometimes we, we're like, oh, what was that? I don't know. I don't know that person. I'm not going to say anything. But really, it's a, it's, it's a gift. That's what it's meant to be used. You know what I love about Barnabas is he was so good at being encouraging and, and, and at calling the gold out in others that he literally was renamed for it. What if I were to go to your closest friends and I said, hey, uh, I want you to rename Harley. What would they say? Son of a what? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'll just stop there. But nonetheless, it really is a heart check for us. Like, What would our friends, what would our family rename us as if we were given a title? I know for some of us, it's son of a gun for sure, uh, son of the pain in my neck. But nonetheless, I just thought that that was an amazing thing. I also want to notice in this passage, if you go back to Acts chapter 4, what happens here. So we're, we're introduced into Joseph, right? And we, we talk about his, uh, how he's named uh, Barnabas, son of encouragement. And then it says that he takes a field and his house, and he sells it in, in verse 3, and he, put it, he puts it at the apostles' feet right here in verse 3. Sold a field, and he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Oh, that we would have people that would lay what they had at the feet of their leaders and trust them. Listen, the, the, the early church at this time, they didn't know what they were doing, guys. They had no idea. This is the first church ever. They are fresh this was organic. This was Holy Spirit-led. And, and what I love about Barnabas and something that he does that I think we will need to do, if we're going to go a church that goes from gather to multiply, he was willing to seed and invest in the movement. So the question I have for each and every one of you here in this room today is, how are you investing? Does anybody here follow the stock market? Any stock market people that follow? Not a single person. Not a single person in here? Too bad Jim's not here. He'd raise his hand. Listen, I'm not speaking against that at all. Don't get me wrong. Stock markets, I mean, I guess if you think that's fun, go right ahead and invest. But really, if you're going to be somebody who invests, you want to invest in things that are, are like my doctor, Dr. Powell, my mentor always says, you want to invest in things that are eternal. He said there's two things. I, I just made it three because, well, I can do that. But unless he says, if you're going to invest in anything in this world, when it comes to your stuff or your money, you're going to invest in these three things. The souls of people, the word of God, because it will not die. It will be forever, just like your soul. And also, I would say the bride of Christ, obviously. I think she will be there in eternity forever. Literally, we'll come in union and be, we, we're united in Christ as the bride. And therefore, we as a people... If there's anything for us to invest in, it's the church. It's the souls of people. It's the word of God. So what are you investing in? And you might be thinking, oh, here's another pastor preaching about money. Yeah, sure, I am. But did you know not a single person here gets paid? Maybe one day down the road. But that's never been, the goal has never been for us to be paid. The, the, the goal has never been to build a big church. But the thing that we've learned as we've gotten bigger is that the more money you have, the more ability you have to spread the kingdom of God. Therefore, we're not asking for your money that we might go away from Chick-fil-A and, and just you know, have all the money in the world. We're asking it because we want to see what God has for this church and for this community and the way that God has created us. 
And so I am asking you in some sense to give to this church right here and right now. I'm asking you to invest because when you invest in this church, you invest in the souls of people, you invest in the word of God, and that is something worth investing in. But nonetheless, I'll leave it at that. And not only that, but if you go to Acts chapter 5, right after this passage, there's a, a story that's almost identical, but it's a contrast because there's a, two people named Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira, and they sell a field and a house, and they go to the apostles, and they leave it all at their feet, except for a little bit. They kept a little bit back for themselves, which I don't think is a sin. I think the sin is that they said it was all of it, by the way, but nonetheless, they, they give it all. They say they give it all. But they actually don't. They keep a little bit back for themselves. And what happens? They, look, they realize that they're lying. said, you haven't, lied, but, uh, you haven't lied just to us, but you've lied to Holy Spirit. You've lied to God. And they are struck down and killed right then and there. I'm not saying that if you don't give to this church, God's going to kill you. But it has the emphasis of when we give, we give it all. And if we know anything about Jesus Christ, he is worth all that we have. If we really truly understand the fact that we were meant for eternal destiny in hell, separation from God, uh, death and torment, and then the fact that he, choosing to come down in flesh and to die, not for his sin, he was sinless, but to die for our own and give us his righteousness, that we might have a right relationship with God, it would, it's, it's, it's nothing. Pennies on the dollar, whatever they say, what that saying is. But nonetheless, if we understood truly what it meant that Christ, that God came in the flesh through Jesus Christ, ask me asking you to give it all is like, duh. It's a natural, it's a natural outflow of it. Anyway, we'll, keep, we'll continue on. Let's go to Acts chapter 9. So that was the story that was directly after Acts 4.31. This is the story that happens right before Acts 9.31. This is what I call the pinnacle of Christian obedience. Let's read it here. And when, oh, this is the story of when Paul, after he gets saved, he wants to join the apostles, but he, he, there's a little bit of resistance, right? And when Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, and rightfully so, right? I mean, he was killing them, not believing that he really was a disciple. But here's our man. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how Damascus, in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. What I love about Barnabas in this passage is that he wasn't afraid to take risks on others. He was an advocate for those others doubted. He used his credibility, his capital, his trust at the risk of another. And this is hard for me because people all the time are like, hey, Will, can you write me a pastoral reference? Or, hey, Will, could you possibly get me a job at Chick-fil-A? And in the back of my mind, I'm like, psych, no way, bro. Because if you're not good at your job, it doesn't come just back on you. It comes on me, and that's me. I don't, you, I don't want you to taint who I am. I don't want to give you that power. Like, are we, is there anybody else with that kind of thing? It's like, it's like, you know, you're like, hey, could you do this for me? And they start doing it, and then you're like, oh, man, they're terrible at it. Let me move out of the way. Let me finish up, man. Let me, I'm going to do it better than you. I'm going to do it faster than you. Just let me do it. You know, anybody, anybody here like that? I feel like all the time that's the way that I am. And it's like for Barnabas, though, he, he just stuck his neck out, and it paid off. See, the thing about Barnabas is where most people see Paul, saw Paul through the eyes of the past Barnabas was able to see him through the eyes of potential, or what I would call the eyes of prophecy. 
He saw the potential through the eyes of prophecy that was in Paul. And he says, you know what? All other people might be doubting this guy, but I see what God has for them. And it's so easy for us to do this all the time, isn't it? It's opposite of our natural tendencies. Just think if Paul was applying for this as a job. Hey, listen, there's, a, there's an opening here for being a disciple of Jesus. Uh, Paul, uh, explain to me why you think you're ready for this job. What, what things have you, have you accomplished in your life? And he's like, well, I mean, I, I killed a bunch of Christians. I got them uh, thrown in jail. I, uh, I was there when Stephen was martyred, the very first martyr of the church. I was the one that approved of it, actually. They brought his cloak to me. I said, do it, and they threw stones at him. I mean, if you look at it like that, he's the last guy we'd be wanting to have this job, right? And it's exactly how the world, the world determines us, determines who we are by our past, doesn't it? And we do it all the time too, yet Barnabas was able to see through the eyes of prophecy, through the eyes of potential. And we all know that person in our own lives, right? Where everyone else around you is kind of making fun of them, poking fun out of them. And really, in your own mind, you're like, man, I actually like, I kind of like that guy. I kind of like that girl. She's really cool. I don't know why. People make it fun of her, but we're just, you know, instead of, instead of calling, it, calling it out of them and instead of, instead of saying, hey, why are we talking about this person like this? We just keep quiet because it's easier that way. And we just, joke, we just hop in on the fun and making fun of somebody. And, that's what, and, and what I love most about Barnabas is that he's the kind of guy that didn't need the limelight. He was an unsung hero. He was an unsung hero. He was so humble and self-effacing. If you read the story of Acts, from Acts chapter 9 all the way to Acts chapter 13, verse 13, every time they are mentioned as they're on their missionary journey, it says Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas and Paul went here. Barnabas and Paul did this. Barnabas and Paul did that. Barnabas and Paul went here. Barnabas and Paul went there continually for four whole chapters. And then in Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 14 and onward, we see a shift. Instead of Barnabas and Paul, Paul takes the lead and starts saying Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. And what I love about Barnabas is that he doesn't care. He notices something new is happening, and he's not threatened by it. It wasn't... and. There's a lot of scholars who are like, well, you know, well, probably because it's transitioning, right? The, the focus is on the church, focuses on Barnabas, and now for the rest of the book of Acts, it's going to be talking about Paul. So really, this is a transition. It's not like, it doesn't actually mean much. Well, that's not true, because if you read in Acts chapter 14, by the way, 14 is after 13. Just what I thought y'all thought know that. Where, where Paul takes the lead, right? He takes the lead in, in chapter 13. Well, in chapter 14, they go into a town and they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and instead of the town accepting Jesus they start worshiping Barnabas and Paul and they call Barnabas Zeus which is the top dog and they call Paul Hermes which is the son of Zeus which means in their mind they saw Barnabas as the greater and yet we say that oh it's just a natural transition no Barnabas liked to take the back seat he didn't he saw a move of God in Paul, and he wasn't threatened by it. He realized, oh, the limelight's no longer on me. That's okay. Did you know that there's Pauls in every single church here in America, but most never see, much less reach their potential because their Barnabas is unable to let go of his title, and instead of fanning the flames in others, they extinguish any move of God that doesn't have them in the center of it. Their ministry has nothing to do with Christ and everything to do with them. Every single church has one. 
You know what? Uh, another thing about Barnabas is that he, he was a guy that chose significance over prominence. Every year, I, I have a prayer specifically for the church. In 2018, my prayer was, God, would you help our church find that balance between reverence and rejoicing? You understand? Like, you go to some churches, and it's super reverent, and it's like, whoa, this is cool. It's definitely holy, but I'm bored, right? This is so boring. And then you go to some other churches that are like, whoa, this thing is a party, bro. This is a lot of fun. But there really is no reverence. I, and my prayer in 2018 was, God, could you help our church find that balance between rejoicing and reverence? I want to have reverence, but I also want to have fun. I want to have joy. It's supposed to be like the one trademark of all Christians is joy. But nonetheless, this year, in 2019, my prayer has been this, that decided church would be would choose significance over prominence. That we be a church that didn't want the limelight. That we be a people, that it wouldn't be about me, it wouldn't be about Jim, it wouldn't be about the worship team, it would be about Jesus. It, would be, it wouldn't even be about Decided Church. I, I don't even care that if Decided Church is a name that's thrown out. I just want Jesus' name exalted and lifted on high. That's what it's about. And so often, we, we forget and we start working towards the agenda of our church and towards the agenda of ourselves. And what happens is we extinguish the move of God in our lives. And you know what I've learned in my short time as a Christian? I've only been a Christian like seven years. But did you know the goal of being a pastor isn't being a leader? I've always thought that. I always thought, well, you know, I've, I knew since the day I was saved. I knew God wants me to be a pastor. Some people struggle with that for years in their life. What does God want me to do? I don't know how that feels because I didn't have it that way. Mine was instant. I heard third thing, three things. Move away, be a pastor, start a church. And that's what I did. I moved away. I started a church with my friend Jim. And now I'm a pastor. But what I've learned is I thought, oh, that's my goal. My goal in a, as a Christian is to become a pastor. And the, the main goal of being a pastor is being a leader. But guess what? That's not the actual goal of being a leader, of being a pastor. The actual true goal is to be what Barnabas was and be a leader maker. See, God didn't call me, he didn't call Jim to decide a church to, to, to lead, but to, to take it a step further, to be a leader maker. And if you want, so without Barnabas, there is no Paul. But did you know there's someone else that Barnabas took under his wing? Did you know that? It's another guy in the book of Acts that you can read about. His name is John. I'm not going to give you his middle name because that gives away the whole story. But nonetheless, there's this guy named John, and they go on their first missionary journey, and John comes with them, and then I think it's in Berea. They get into a lot of fighting. There's a lot of craziness, and this guy named John, he flees, and he goes back to his home. And so they finish the the first missionary journey, and then they're like, okay, let's start a, a second missionary journey. So Paul and Barnabas are talking, like, who should we bring this time? And Barnabas sees something. He sees this guy named John through the eyes of prophecy. He sees it in the eyes of potential. He realizes when he fled the first time, it's not truly who he was. He has changed. He wants to do better. He says, let's bring John again. Let's bring John again. And if you read it in the Greek, Paul basically says, over my dead body, bro. And so what happens is Barnabas and Paul, they split, right? Paul takes Silas, they go on their missionary journey, Barnabas and another guy named John go off. Well, does anybody know who, what, who John actually is, his middle name? It's the name John Mark, the writer of 
the very first gospel within the chronology of time. It's not the first one we run into, obviously, in the New Testament, Matthew's first. But when it comes to actual true human history, Mark was the very first one ever written. Because guess what? Barnabas saw John Mark through the eyes of potential. He gave him a second chance. He took another risk. So without Barnabas, there would be no Paul. And without Barnabas, there would be no John Mark. Did you know? Combined together, their writings, that's one-third of the New Testament written between them. So that means one-third of the impact, one-third of the influence, one-third of the growth of the kingdom, all because of one man, Barnabas. And yet we barely ever hear of him. Anybody here ever read the book of Hebrews? I love the book of Hebrews. It's my favorite book of the Bible. Did you know that? Yep, so um, you know why there's going to be coffee in heaven? Because Hebrews. But nonetheless, um, the cool thing about Hebrews is that nobody really knows who wrote the book of Hebrews, but I have a little bit, I have a little bit of an idea. Let's think about it this way. Okay, so if you read the book of Hebrews, it's all about how the new covenant in Jesus Christ is better than the old covenant, okay? It's basically saying the whole time, it's saying, hey, listen, Jesus is better than Moses. Hey, Jesus is better than the angels. Hey, Jesus is better than Aaron. Jesus is better than whatever else you can, Melchizedek. Jesus is better, right? And is that not the most encouraging kind of sermon you ever heard? Jesus is better. Not only that, But think about how humble and self-effacing he was, right? I mean, he didn't care about his name. If you know anything about the Hebrews is that there's no introduction. They never say, hey, listen. And if you know Paul, a lot of people say Paul wrote it. But if we know Paul from his writings, we all know he's like, he makes an entrance. Like, like, hey, yo, I'm Paul, called by God. I need you to know this is me writing to you. You filthy Galatians. Who has bewitched you? You know what I'm saying? He just goes right in. But he makes sure he knows. Well, a lot of people say he wrote the book of Hebrews. I'm saying, well, if he wrote the book of Hebrews, I'm sure Paul would have said something. But it would take somebody like a Barnabas not to even write his name on the book. Not only that, but he's a Levite, which means he would have Hebrew ties, which would make sense that he's writing to the Hebrews. But that's neither here nor there, and that's just my sanctified imagination at work. But I do think Barnabas wrote the book of Hebrews. And there's a lot, I mean, that's a lot of good evidence, is it not? It's so encouraging. There's no name on the book. I just think that that's right. But nonetheless, hey, listen, seriously, that's, that's all I really have for you guys here today. But in closing, I just want us to take time to really to pray over these things, right? I want us to take time to, to focus back in because we want to end 2019 strong. We want to finish well. That's like the main characteristic of a Christian is that we be people that finish well. And I want us to finish well when it comes to this theme of multiply. So let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word today. We're so grateful for men like Barnabas. And God, I pray for a church of many Barnabai. I like that better than Barnabases. God, we pray for many Barnabai to be risen up here in this room. God, if we're going to be a church that multiplies, We need every Paul in this church to be looked at through the eyes of potential instead of the eyes of the past. If we're going to be a church that multiplies, our heart cry has to be significance and not prominence. If we're going to be a church that multiplies, investing in the eternal is essential. If we're going to be a church that multiplies, we need more unsung heroes willing to take the risks on behalf of another. If we're going to be a church that multiplies, Our mindset will have to go further than just being a leader, but instead being a leader maker. 
Father, I just want to thank you so much for your faithfulness and for your goodness of how you've seen us through so far this year. You truly have multiplied us and you've multiplied everything in our midst. We ask that it wouldn't stop here. It wouldn't stop here today or even after 2019. But God, for the rest of our lives, would you help us continue to multiply? And we just praise you, Father, here in this moment that your goodness has ran after us, Father, and you continually pursue us in this church into our calling. And so, God, I pray that I know for sure there's no way we can get to where you would have us in your kingdom without many Barnabai. And so, God, I just pray that you would help us be self-effacing and humble. God, that we wouldn't extinguish a move of God because we're not in the center of it, as long as it means more glory and more fame for your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.